0: welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church sermon series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org, or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon.
1: Grace and peace in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, friends And welcome to worship this morning with the community at North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We have come or we have stayed where we are this morning. We have gathered so that we can learn to love God and learn to love each other a bit more fully today than yesterday. So welcome to all of you. My name is David Lewicki. I'm one of the co-pastors here, and I'm happy to be the person who uh, extends the uh, greeting to each of you, a special greeting to those who are worshiping with us, who are visiting this morning. Uh, it is always a pleasure to have visitors, uh, so welcome to you who are visiting online this morning. Uh, it is never uh, a bad idea and never the wrong time to be a visitor at North Decatur Presbyterian Church. Uh, in fact, we are welcoming into membership uh, at the session meeting today two people who have primarily worshiped with us online. So, if you have been a visitor or a regular visitor, we encourage you to reach out to us. Uh, You can send an email to me, david, at ndpc.org, or uh, to Nancy Minersman, our engagement chair, at engagement at ndpc.org, and let us know who you are, and let yourself be known, even as we are in this time, uh, where we are apart from each other. Uh, I wanna say, as a last uh, mode of introduction or welcome this morning, I wanna say welcome to our guest preacher. Uh, Mr. Nib Stroop, Reverend Nib Stroop, uh, has been the pastor for 34 34 years, give or take, at our, um, our neighboring congregation, Oakhurst Presbyterian Church. Nibs and his partner, Caroline Leach, um, had an extraordinary ministry at Oakhurst. Um, truly, uh, no one in our country, um, I think, did multicultural ministry, parish ministry, better than Nibs and Caroline. And um, Nibs was a role model and is a role model for me, and it is an honor to have him as our preacher today to bring the word on this Martin Luther King Jr. Sunday. So welcome to you, Nibs. Let's continue with worship, with our time of deepening reflection as we gather together.
2: Last week, we celebrated the baptism of our Lord, and remembering the baptism of Jesus by John. We remembered our own baptism. We contemplated all the qualities and the uses of water as source of life and symbol of God's spirit and nourishment. But today, we wonder what else flows from God and cannot be shut off or damned. Last week, water was the mark of our belovedness and the source of our nourishment. This week, water reminds us of the power of justice and God's will flowing through us. So I want you to think of the power and the flow of God's justice and will. As I invite you into a spirit of confession, to repent of the wrongdoings you persisted this week, and to empty your ego of its fears and attachments in a moment of silence after you listen to the speech of the prophet Amos. Listen to the word of God in Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon, take away from me the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the melody of your harps, but let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. In the silence, release the things that keep you from living God's peace. Sovereign one, our Jehovah of justice, our Messiah of mercy, our Holy Ghost of grace, empty us of our sins and make us vessels for verity and virtue. May our world be shaped by your justice, and may our souls be swept up into your eternal will. And may we always know ourselves and our neighbors to be beloved through the grace of Christ. Amen.
0: It's my pleasure to be with you here at North Decatur Presbyterian Church today. We give thanks for the ministry of this church over many, many years. Since Caroline and I retired in 2017 from Oakhurst, we've been part of this congregation and we give thanks for this opportunity to be with you. And we give such special thanks for your ministry and acts of kindness to us and for us and with us after Caroline's back surgery on uh, in August, end of August this year, so uh, last year I guess. So thank you very much. We appreciate it and we appreciate this congregation and we're glad to be with you today. Our second scripture lesson is going to come from Paul's letter, first letter to the Corinthians from the 13th chapter. Familiar uh, set of verses for us. We hear them often many times in many ways so I ask us to try to listen with new ears today as we listen To the word of God and God speaking to us through these words. So let us listen for what God is saying to us. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and understand all knowledge and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but I don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all of my possessions and I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Amen. In 1985, when Caroline and I had been pastors at Oakhurst for a couple of years, we started a tradition of honoring Martin Luther King on the Sunday of King weekend. King Day had just begun as a national holiday in 1984 under a law signed ironically by President Ronald Reagan. We would have a King breakfast during the Sunday School Hour in the Fellowship Hall, and then one of us would preach on Dr. King and worship, or we would have guest speakers. And we would give thanks for Martin Luther King and for his ministry and for his continuing relevance for us in whatever place or time we find ourselves. We didn't seek to sanitize him, rather we sought to set up his ministry in a way that we could see the enduring relevance that it has for our lives. Now, some of our white members complained that we were emphasizing King too much, that we were seeking to make him a saint. Our reply was that we were not seeking to sanctify Martin Luther King, but rather we would, wanted to recognize him. And yes, we did want to honor him as one of the great American prophetic voices. So that's what I'm going to try to do today. And some of you may have some of those same concerns, so if you do, I'll be glad to hear from you after worship. But for today, I'll be seeking to talk about King's witness and power and about his continuing meaning for our time. Now, whenever we single out Martin Luther King like this, it is wise to remember a powerful reflection by the great civil rights organizer and teacher, Bob Moses, who died last year, just last year. Whenever Bob Moses was asked about King, he would say that Dr. King was a big wave on the ocean of the Civil Rights Movement. He was an important wave, but he was still part of the ocean of people who moved and worked for justice and equality. So we must always keep that in mind. And the best way to find the meaning and the challenge of Dr. King's ministry, I think, is to acknowledge the necessity and the difficulty of putting love and justice together so that they are in balance and in tension with one another. We saw those ideas in the scripture lessons this morning. 1 Corinthians, the famous love chapter from St. Paul. It is so familiar to us and often we sentimentalize that love, make it a sweet thing. This chapter in 1 Corinthians reminds us that while love does have sentiment to it, Putting it into practice is something much different than being sweet. It's demanding. All of us who love others and are loved by others know how demanding love is. We have to stay in relationships when things get tough. We have to listen for the voice and the context of the other. We have to even admit admit that there is an other. That's a lot of work. As Dorothy Day, the great Catholic worker, once put it, love, love and action is a harsh and dreadful thing. I don't know that I'd go that far, but it is demanding. It is difficult. Some of the demands of love become clear when we turn to our other scripture lesson this morning, which Beth shared with us from Amos. It's one of Martin Luther King's favorites. Let justice roll down like waters. There's that powerful image of water. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Amos makes the radical claim that the only thing God really cares about is justice. This right relationship between human beings as individuals and as institutions. All of our energy, says Amos, must be focused on reshaping our lives to base our lives and our institutions on justice. Cornel West put it so well, justice is what love looks like in public. Justice is what love looks like in public. Now Martin Luther King grew up in a loving family, child of a strong preacher and a strong mama. He had love at the core of his life. He believed in the power of love. He believed that love could redeem all people and all relationships. He even believed that those of us classified as white could be loved and could be redeemed. The civil rights movement, especially the Montgomery bus boycott, pushed him into that tension between love and justice. He came to believe that this power of love must must go public. It had to find its expression in public institutions, especially in his homeland of the South, with its continuing power of racism and neo-slavery. It was this calling to put love into the public sphere, this work to establish justice. It was this commitment that caused Martin Luther King, Jr. so much trouble in his life. It was this work and this vision that caused his witness also to be so powerful and to have such impact that we're still remembering him today. And I want to use two narratives to talk about King's impact in the areas of love and justice. First, Those of us who are classified as white, most of us in this congregation, I don't think understand the impact on one level that King had in the African American community. He was a magnetic force. And I want to read an excerpt from an essay that speaks about his power in the African American community. It is from the best essay that I've ever read on Martin Luther King. It's by the writer June Jordan. And the essay is entitled, The Mountain And the man who was not God, it was published in 1993, and this is what June Jordan wrote. He made big mistakes. He was not a wonderful administrator. He did not abstain from whiskey, tobacco, or sex. He was not a fabulous husband or father. He committed adultery. His apparent attitude towards women was conventional at best or strikingly narrow or mean. He loved to party, dancing, horsing around, heavyweight southern cuisine, and pretty women. He was not a god. And I remember listening to WBAI radio in 1963, the way my parents long ago used to listen to AM radio broadcasts of the Joe Lewis fights. Only I was following the evolution of the Civil Rights Revolution. I was following the liberation of my life, according to the very Reverend Dr. King. And when one afternoon that fast-talking, panic-stricken newscaster in Birmingham reported the lunging killer police dogs and the atrocious hose water, and I could hear my people screaming while the newscaster shouted out the story of my people there in Birmingham who would not quit the streets. When he described how none of that horror of nightsticks or torrential water pressure or mad dogs on the attack could stop the children of Birmingham from coming out again and again and again to suffer whatever they must for freedom. I remember the positively stunned sensation that engulfed me. I knew we were winning. I knew that we would win. And before those demonstrations... And underneath all that melee and after the bleeding and the lockups and the singing and the prayers there was this magical, calm, leading voice leading us unarmed into the violence of white America. And that voice was not the voice of God but did it not seem to be the very voice of righteousness? That voice was not the voice of God but does it not even now amazingly penetrate, reverberate, illuminate a sound, a summoning somehow divine. And for King's impact on white folks I'm going to share some of my own story. You may have the same sort of story especially if you're in my age bracket. Mine will be much less poetic and powerful than June Jordan but nevertheless powerful to me and I hope to you. I grew up and segregated southern white society. And I was taught white supremacy by really wonderful white people, including my mama. So when Martin Luther King and the Civil Rights Movement came along in my teens, I had already drunk and absorbed and believed the Kool-Aid of racism and white supremacy. I believed that the Civil Rights Movement was dominated by communists, by greedy black leaders. And if there were any decent people in the movement at all, they must be fools or dupes. But in the summer of 1963, right before I began my senior year in high school, I decided to listen to Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech at the March on Washington. I'm not sure why I did it. I was thinking about this sermon this week, and I asked myself, why in the world did I decide to do this, and I can't really answer? I just wanted to see for myself. Now, I was home by myself. I'm an only child. My mother was a single working mom, so she wasn't there. And I didn't tell any of my friends. I didn't have any black friends, all white friends. I wasn't going to tell any of them that I was listening to the speech. But I did want to see it for myself. And on this hot summer day in the Mississippi River Delta of Arkansas, I remember being stunned, like June Jordan was. Stunned first by the crowd that I listened, saw and listened to and watched. Could all of these thousands and thousands and thousands of people be fools? Could all of them be fools? And of course there was King's vision and eloquence. A remarkable speaker, a remarkable voice, a powerful vision. I tried to resist it. I tried to dismiss it. But I found myself wanting to say yes to Martin Luther King that day, to say yes to the dream of work and equality. Well, I didn't do it yet. I couldn't do it yet. It would take me several more years to begin to work out this stuff that was in my system so I could move to make my break with my white Southern heritage. But a seed was sown in my heart that day and in the hearts of many others. Now, over the years, I've come to like other Martin Luther King sermons and speeches better than this one in 1963. But I must admit, this speech influenced me more than any others that he gave. Because in that 1963 speech, he used an idea that I believed in. He used the great American idea of equality as the leverage point between love and justice. In God's eyes, we are all called to see one another as siblings created by God with equal dignity, no matter what the world tells us about ourselves, no matter what the world tells us about others, no matter what we say about others, God has created us as siblings, no matter what we say. And we must push for this idea of equality to permeate our public institutions so that this great American idea that all people are created equal, this idea will infuse the institutions and structures of our society. That's our calling today, this day, January the 16th, 2022. Many of you are already involved in this work, so if you are, you know that it's difficult work to put love and justice together. And King felt that terrible burden in his life and his witness. He began his public career with love, but he moved towards justice. He began with the view that people classified as white could be redeemed, that we were not totally captured by race. He never lost that idea, but by the time he was assassinated in Memphis in 1968, he had become much more disillusioned and harsh about the American dream. He wanted direct action on a national scale to confront white people and our white systems about the way we crush people, especially poor people in the name of the American dream. So putting love and justice together in public is a very difficult task. But from my point of view, Martin Luther King Jr. came closer than most anybody else in American history. Well, what does this say to us in 1922? 2022, back to my old past there. 2022, as we begin this new year in a very scary time. Well, there are many steps to take, Dr. Catherine Meeks and I have listed seven of those steps in our book on Ida Wells, but for today, with just a little time left, I want to name just one of those steps we should take, and then I'll talk about the others at a later time. That step is recognition, recognition. The power of racism continues in all of our lives. Yes, we've made great progress thanks to Dr. King and many others but the power of race still remains strong in our lives and in all of our institutions. It remains strong because it's so deeply rooted in American history and culture and experience. The rise of Trumpism and the radical right is testimony to its continuing power. It is a powerful, primordial force in the life of American culture. But Dr. King, one of his great gifts to us was to remind us that we are not trapped in the forces of history. We do have the capacity to recognize our captivity to race, and in so doing, to begin to seek liberation from it. How do we do that? By beginning at the beginning. To acknowledge how much power the idea of race has in our lives. Last week, David and Beth reminded us of the power of the sacrament of baptism. In baptism, we acknowledge that our primary definition is child of God. And in our baptism, we make promises to teach that child or whoever's being baptized their true definition, themselves our true definition, child of God, not our racial category, not our gender category, not our nationality, Nothing is our primary definition except child of God. That's one of the great gifts to all of us of Martin Luther King, especially those of us who are classified white. He offers us a chance to see our own humanity, to see ourselves primarily not as white people, but as children of God. It's one of his great gifts to us. Putting love and justice together begins here. It's very difficult. But Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. showed us a fundamental way to do it. And I would be the poorer if I don't use some of his words. So I want to close with a few of his own words about how to put love and justice together. It's from my favorite Martin Luther King sermon. Preached two months to the day before he was killed in Memphis. Preached right up the road here in Ebenezer Church on February the 4th, 1968. Drum major instinct, he called it. If any of you are around when I meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Every now and then I wonder what I want them to say. Tell them not to mention I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell them not to mention that I have three or 400 other awards. That's not important. Tell them not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right on the war question. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. And I want you to be able to say that day that I did try in my life To clothe those who were naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who were in prison. I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. So yes, if you want to say I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind. I won't have the fine and luxurious things of life to leave behind. But I just want to live, leave a committed life behind. That's a calling for all of us, a committed life, to put love and justice together. So may we find ourselves in that narrative. Let justice roll down like waters and let love endure and hope all things. Amen. Freedom is what we have. Christ Jesus has set us free. Stand then as free people and do not allow yourselves to become captives again. Take that news and share it with everybody that you meet in this world. And now hear this great news that grounds us. The grace of the God who created us is with us this very moment. And the love of the Lord Jesus surrounds us wherever we go, out into the world or down into ourselves. And the peace and the power and the passion of the Holy Spirit is ours to claim. Amen? Amen.